star so bright Pull your hat down, make sure your cinch is tight Horse is kinda snuffy, cold chill up your spine You'll get your ass moving somewhere burning Welcome to Burning Daylight, the only podcast for the working cowboy. Howdy there. I'm Matt McKinley with the Burning Daylight podcast. You ever wanted to make a podcast? Well, Spotify's got a platform that makes that lets you make one super easily. And then you can distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for for podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from the phone or computer. Uh, so no matter what uh, your setup was like, you can uh, start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And uh, if you like my show, Fence Post Politics with my buddy Aaron, that's the place to watch it because it's all video all the time. And we uh, like we share videos, we comment on videos, we share news articles and uh, and funny memes. So um, it's pretty cool. Um, and also, if you want to take your conversations to uh, with your fans to the next level, uh, your question and answer, answer and polls are the best way to get them talking. You can attach that to your your podcast there and, and you get your you get you know, valuable interactions with your fan, your fans. And, uh, with Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. And that's, uh, that, that is true. Um, I'm supposed to do a testimonial here. Um, but anyways, this is the the podcast I use or the podcast uh, host that I use. I like Spotify. They're uh, they're very good on just letting you do your thing uh, with uh, with no catch to it. Uh, there's a good reason why Joe Rogan hosts podcasts on Spotify, and, and this is uh, this is a great way to get started if you if you have ever thought about starting a podcast. This is where I would send anybody to go. Um, <clears throat> best thing you can do is just download the Spotify for podcasters app, or you can go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. And yeah, if you've ever thought about just doing a podcast or if you're tired of paying a monthly service that, uh, doesn't seem to do much for you, Spotify podcasters is your spot. So, uh, go to spotify.com slash podcasters or download the app today. Got a, yes, sir. We got a longtime listener of the show on uh, Cliff Shaft. He's a horse trainer in New York. Say that again, buddy. I said, were you up in New York for a little while? 
I did. I was born and raised uh, Long Island, New York. I'm a uh, second generation horse trainer. My mom and uncle train hunter jumpers, and uh, that's kind of all I knew as a kid. And, but uh, when I was about four years old, I got a hand-me-down hat and a pair of boots from uh, from somewhere, and I put that on. I told my mom I wanted to be a cowboy, and, and that's all I ever wanted, and that's that's all I've ever been from that time on. I, I just just hungered for it, man. That's awesome. <clears throat> well, you got a, a Montana number, so I'm assuming you, you spent a little time out there then, huh? I, I spent quite a bit of time. Uh, when I was, I don't know, I was about 18 or 19, and uh, those are that was kind of back in the days when the, the Internet was kind of lawless, and I, I found a found just a posting on some message board for somebody looking for an a assistant trainer as a, at a cutting horse outfit and. uh in Redmond, Oregon, and uh, I just wanted mm. out of New York so bad that I just went. I didn't really ask a lot of questions, and uh, I didn't ask a lot of questions. I didn't uh, didn't really care. I just wanted to get out of where I was, and I uh, went out there and went to work for the meanest SOB I ever worked for ever. Um, but it was it was actually really good for me because it kind of toughened me up, and it made everybody I ever worked for after that seem like a a walk in the park and uh i went to work for him i worked there four months it was two months longer than really anybody ever stayed there working so that was kind of an accomplishment in itself but i was just determined not to go home and uh mm. after that I, I made my way over to uh oh there was this kind of eccentric older man maynard alves he was a neat neat character he's a portuguese feller and uh really grew up in around like Salinas, California and kind of the, the peak of that bridal horse culture in that area. And, um, I didn't know it at the time, but he really taught me a lot. And he had, uh, he had a, about 120 brood mares and, uh, they were, his horses were kind of miserable because he bred, uh, he bred halter and pleasure horses to put them under cutting horse studs. And, uh, they weren't a lot of fun to ride, but the best part was, is that I got to get turned loose with, as many colts as I wanted to start, he had everything from two-year-olds up through seven, eight-year-olds that had never been started standing in a feedlot. He was independently wealthy, and he never sold anything. So me and a couple other guys that were there, we got to start a lot of horses and do it a lot of different ways and kind of figure things out. And it, that was a made a really big mark on me. And, and after that, I went on to uh, eastern Oregon, and I cowboyed all over like Baker City area, Keating Valley, and uh, areas like that before going on to Nevada and Montana. Okay, so you've been you've been kind of all over then. Been all over. That's awesome. Uh, uh, what was your uh, favorite country to ride? Where, where was probably your favorite Mon country? Probably Montana. Um, I spent spent quite a bit of time up in the Beartooth Mountains and. Uh, I loved it up there. It was it was really neat. We worked. Uh, I worked a uh, just a summer mountain grass program up there where we we would get in about twenty five hundred head of yearlings and uh, spent oh about three years there. And it was just rope and doctor outside every day. They were really traditional and uh, just got a chance to make make good horses and and cowboy. It was I loved it. I also spent some time over around Pryor, Montana. I uh, day worked some for like the S Ranch and Stovalls over there and. Um, I just, I love that too. That country is pretty neat. Yeah. That, uh, Montana's some pretty country. I haven't seen 
I haven't seen a lot of it, but I've seen I've seen enough to know that it's it's sure enough pretty. But it the the folks that live there full time they're they're a little they're a little tougher than most, you know. Oh yeah, they, yeah, they, like they, old like old old Derek Mott up there. Oh, those damn North Dakotans they they don't have anything <laughs> good to say about anybody, you know. And and then they oh, once yeah. it gets get they start chirping at everybody because well I'm let's. <laughs> Nothing to do in North Dakota except bitch at everybody else because it's just well, cold all the damn. If I lived in that miserable country, I'd probably do the same. There's not much else to do. I know it. I I, I like old Derek a lot, but I, I, I like sure to, do. I him shit about just talk. He, he's always picking on the Texans for for bitching about the cold, which is fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm well, all in favor of that too. No, nobody's really safe from Derek. Nobody is safe. No, no he's he's uh. To say he's opinionated would be uh, the understatement of the century, you know. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, but no, he's that's, a cool, that was. I really he's a cool cat. A cool cat and a handy bugger. I've I've learned a lot just just visiting with him. Yeah, for sure. Him and, and Hartman's kind of the same way, but Hartman's a little more slick with his humor. You know, like I, I love he's when Hartman. I love when he goes on a tear on Facebook. You know, he's always oh, he's man. always. On, book jail but then he'll he'll pop up with another account and it's just like a a 20 meme string of just just raunchy yep. hilarious oh my gosh he he doesn't it. care about nothing he just they don't make it. him like dan dan is dan is a throwback bronc man from way back i mean he's there's just not a lot like him left he's uh he's a lot like did you ever read uh buffalo bill's uh autobiography yeah i sure have he reminds me a lot of like a Buffalo Bill or uh, a Kit Carson type of character. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But the, the, uh, the humor of like a Ben Franklin, you know. Yes, yes, De- definitely kind of a frontiersman kind of a, a personality. It's pretty neat. Yeah, he's uh, he's a hoot. I uh, he just cracks me up. I it, that's one of the. One of the cool things about doing this podcast is I've legit become friends with guys like uh, Derek Mott and uh, and you know uh, Dan Hartman and Boots O'Neill. Like, I, like yep. I'm legit buddies with people. It's That's that, that I like I and like Derek and Dan I haven't met in person yet, but still like that I know that if uh, like push comes to shove, I'd be like, hey man, can I uh, come crash on your couch? And, you know, exactly, and, I, and I've done it too. I've done it through just through through facebook connections and stuff it's it's uh a lot of people i think they bitch about the internet and this and that but the truth of it is is that social media has made the cowboy world a whole lot smaller and and i really think it's it's helping to preserve it because now we've got we've got podcasts like yours and and bloggers and different things like that and there's there's so much more information than when i was coming up you know in the in the, the mid to late 90s the only place you really had to go to learn was from some old timer who if you were lucky he might talk to you five times in a day and, and a few of those times were just getting cussed at so you, you really yeah. struggled to learn anything and now it's so accelerated because there's just so much information out there and and so many friendships are getting built on it too which is just neat yeah it's really cool like that that's i've, I've told people uh, uh you know several different times like the coolest thing to see when i post a meme is uh like seeing people and it used to happen a lot on facebook but but then you know when the, all the censorship shit went down like 
it doesn't happen anymore a little bit more in the groups but it's it's cool like seeing people that i know connected through my show uh like that's right in the comments and you're just like <laughs> yeah it, just, it, it has shrank the size of the cowboy world considerably and i think it's awesome yeah. because same yeah. with and me I, really... I never Go knew ahead. that there was uh like I never knew that they people still went out on a wagon. I didn't know that existed. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I, I like I wouldn't have done it. And then it wasn't until really like after college, I was like, "Oh shit, that that stuff still happens, man." Still, still out. And, there and then by the time the you know, I like really. Yep, yeah, and uh, and the that's that's one of my biggest regrets. I talked about that with uh, John Langmore the other day, and yeah. and it's not so much a regret. It's just like, man, I wish I would have. Because now I got a wife and two kids, and it's a, you know, it's gonna have to be like a week trip off on the wagon instead of like, yeah. But it's, uh, but it's it's really it's really cool getting to know and and different styles of cowboy. Um, yeah, so it's shocking handy some of those guys are down south, you know, like in in the southeastern oh, yeah. part. It like it it honestly shocked me and. Uh, and I was like, because you don't you don't think about the cowboys down there, and I, even me working in the feedlot, we used to get a ton yep. of Florida and uh, and like Alabama, Arkansas cattle, uh, Tennessee. But I never once thought about the the guys, uh, you know, that the cowboy out there. that were producing. I, I always, them. Yeah, I always figured it was just some hillbilly with a pair of overalls and uh, and bare feet, you know pushing his six head of uh, steers around. And then and there is a lot of that yeah. throughout the South, but, yeah. but there's also some yeah. guys, I mean, like I was talking with uh, John Darnell, yep. but uh, you know, just kind of getting to know the outfit that he used to be on. Yeah. And, and yep. the stuff that, uh, that they used to do, I mean, they, they were running some serious, uh, serious amount of cattle uh, down there. And, like, yep. and you can tell from their their videos. I mean, they are they are handy, handy, handy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my buddy down here, and Clancy Bro, he, he works for the Deseret, and uh, he's like a unit manager for them for one of their units. And that is a as big an outfit as you'll find anywhere. I mean, I uh, someone told no, me they had about thirty thirty thousand pairs. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I think. I heard somewhere they're they're running like uh, eighty thousand head of mama cows uh, when yeah. they're like fully. St- I mean, yeah, that, and that's another thing you don't think about, or I didn't think about it a lot growing up. Uh, Mormon cowboys, but like that's yep. that's what Utah is, is Mormon cowboys. That's what it is. And yes, uh, then you you start looking into that Mormon church and like the stuff they own, and like man, they are mega players in the in the cattle world. Massive. Like, massive yeah and uh and it's uh it made me start to think maybe i shouldn't talk so much shit on the on the mormons because uh yeah i kind of feel the same way (laughs) i might find myself working for them one day (laughs) i know it i uh i'm not too worried about it because i i think uh even you know the mormons that listen to the show like i've got com uh compliments on on how i approach uh, all my uh research on them because i i really am just coming at it from a, just a, a student of history because uh yeah i want to like 
how it happened, why it happened, and just the awesome stories. Because when you when you think about it, yes, they they from the original settlement of Salt Lake City uh, being about I think it was like 150 original um, migrants that settled there. Yep. Within 20 years, they had uh, or maybe it was in like within five years they had like 20,000 people. Yeah. It was uh, it was a, just a really incredible process that they went through. So I I I uh, I'll, I'll still talk shit. And and they got good humor about it. <clears throat> yes, sir. Uh, it's uh, but but I, I I'm just. I'm fascinated by that, that whole story and, and just how like resilient those guys are. They uh, they are self reliant. Well, it, it's a, it's their ability to build a, a dynasty. Really, that's uh, that's what's so interesting about it. And it, it, you can take all the religion right out of it. Just as an industrious group of people that all kind of work for a common goal and and build something mm-hmm. that's really quite respectable. And uh, you know, just their businesses and and things like that. It's it's pretty impressive, no matter how you slice it from that perspective. Oh, I think so too. And uh, and coming at it from like an economic standpoint, they 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 started out as essentially communist, you know. Yeah. Like they're uh, they're yeah. a lot like uh, they're they're a lot like China in that that perspective. Like yes. Not not so much yeah. from like the the human rights abuses they you yeah, know, but just like from a sheer economic standpoint, they went from yeah. Well, that's, uh, it's that worker bee, worker bee hive. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. It's kind yeah, of that worker bee hive mentality where everybody kind of plays their part and, and then knows their role and they're working for the good of the people and, and it seems to work for them. I mean, it, it's uh, it's not what I would subscribe to, but, um, you know, the proof is in the pudding. I guess they're pretty successful in what they're doing. Well, you know, and uh, maybe my next uh, project after I get get done with the Mormons would be kind of to look at the Mennonites as well. Like the Mennonites. <laughs> yes, the sir. Mennonites, who writes. Yep. Amish, you know, would be, yeah. Uh, yeah. be the same. There's some, some hellacious Amish cowboys too. There sure are. Sure is. Uh, there's uh, there's the Smucker, Smucker boys up near Pennsylvania. They're, they're ungodly handy. They're super handy. Um, I might have to get in touch with some of those guys. That that'd be interesting as well. Like I I can um, I can make that happen if you ever want to. Heck yeah, let's uh let we'll, we'll talk afterwards. But like uh, details anyways. But like, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd love to do that. And uh, see, and that's that's the cool thing about this podcast is like that's uh, why and also why I encourage people to share it around is because I know some of these out there listening that also has Hey, you had a yeah. uh, Charlie Benizi, I know you're with uh, I was just with Charlie this said, morning. Oh, no shit. Oh, yeah, Charlie's I, uh, one of my my good friends. He's a, he's a cool guy. He sent me, uh, he's the one that introduced me to Owen Ulf, and uh, he's the one yep. that put me in touch with Matt Edges. And what uh, I, li- I love about Charlie is he is just a... He is just a uh, has a mind for history and just like obscure history, like me. Yep. Like, where I feel like we're yes, he does. That. 
in that vein of things. He's always sending me interesting shit, and then we we get into a little uh, back and forth of, uh, of different stuff, and I uh, I love that. Uh, like there's um, I don't know if you listened to the that John Yearwood uh, um, he was the guy talking about tiny wood Texas. I haven't, but I'll check it out. You'll you'll like him. He's a he's a really interesting guy. He he ran a small town newspaper in East Texas for like forty years or something. And, I'll be darned. Uh, he wrote a, a really <coughs> cool novel, uh, and it's loosely based around a, a true story. But he uh, he he was also we like at one point we were talking about the, the certain military strategies of the Civil War. And how uh, um, when when Grant uh, had so much success in the West and cut off the Mississippi River, really yep. broke back south. And, and I don't know how we got off on that topic, but uh, it was uh, it, it was just I've uh, I've talked to some people that I would have like, never in a thousand years ago, five years ago. It's pretty damn. Yep. Um, but yeah, like um, anyway, like Charlie, he he's always sending me crazy, crazy things to think about. Yeah, then he sent me some Yeah, yeah. He's he's a he's a cool son of a bitch. I, I like that. He sure is. He's a really good guy, and you know we have a lot in common, Charlie and I, because we both grew up on the East Coast. He grew up. Uh, up near Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Martha's Vineyard, that kind of area, and I grew up right out there on Long Island, maybe maybe sixty miles apart from each other. And we both grew up in hunter jumper families, and we both have this crazy love for all things, you know, cowboy and cowboy culture. Um, you know, so we we kind of bonded over that and became good buddies. Uh, we met up. Uh, we were starting Colts. I was starting Colts with Martin Black, and uh, that's how Charlie and I met, and we just kind of became pards and. Now, whenever I'm down in South Florida, he comes and helps me with Colts and things like that. It's pretty neat. That's awesome. You know, I'm going to have to make a trip up to, to New York. Maybe you can uh, meet me up there because uh, I, I bet we're some of the people or the people that I know in New York are not very far removed from, from people that you know. Because yeah. they, they grew up on or they grew out on Long Island Sound there in, in Rye. Yep. <laughs> And, and I'm guessing, like, I don't know if you guys would know each other um, directly, but I bet there's not very many degrees of separation. And uh, I really, I always enjoyed my time in New York. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a small town kid. There's something about seeing that city. Just like watching, watching people. Yes, sir. So anyway, I like, and I, I'd like to spend parts like go around like upstate New York sometimes. Yeah, yeah, my, my it's, folks it's live up every state. Okay. Yeah, my, my um, folks are up there. It's New funny York how. And, uh... Go ahead. Nice. Um, I would say it, it's funny how like every uh, every state is. Uh, is exactly the same essentially like they have these big yeah. urban centers that 
wildly, uh, they're wildly liberal. And then as soon as you get outside the city, like it gets a lot more conservative. I guess Vermont's a little different. Vermont's like liberals, but, um, but like even like states like New York or Massachusetts or New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, all those like bigger population states, uh, in California yep. too. Like once you get out of like, out of the cities, like people are pretty fucking normal. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's funny how New York. Uh, if you look at the electoral map, it's just was like Buffalo uh, in New York City essentially. Is, uh, Tommy Jessel is uh, what you know is is what votes blue and then everything else is red. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that, um, and that's the thing yeah. is that so many of these so many of these states uh, those urban centers make all the decisions and they speak for they speak for all the rest of the state that's red and and uh, the repercussions are pretty pretty crappy, but. That's a it's a hard thing to get away from. Yeah, it really is, and the hard part is, and and I think uh, I think us on the rural end, I was talking about it with Tuffy the other day, is we're we're so disconnected from how stuff runs in the city too. I mean, like we we yes. assume that it's all just these fucking Antifa marches all the time, but really, there's a lot of just yep. liberal, tough working class guys that. Go to job, go to work every day, and they make shit, you know. And like, yeah. that's the shit that we use out, out in the areas. Um, yes, but that, that's the, the weird thing is, like, if we're not having conversations about that. We're having conversations about transgender kids. It's like that, that's an important conversation to have too. But I'm, I'm much more like I want to talk to the union workers, uh, like, and see what they're. they're when, yeah. when that uh, that railroad strike was going down, uh, the union guys essentially got fucked on that deal when you know, yeah. Biden stepped in and made the deal. Now, now you're seeing all this uh, safety shit come up, and you're like, well, maybe, maybe they should have listened to the working guy there, and uh, it just yeah. because they're they're going to vote Democrat, they're they're union guys, that doesn't mean that we don't have like almost the same values. Right. Right. Uh, and and it makes uh, I mean it makes sense for them for even as ridiculous of a candidate uh, that the Democrats put up, they're still going to vote Democrat because that's the part. And so like I, I mean there's there seems to be like a very obvious reach uh, reach across the aisle deal there. Oh yeah, but they never do. It's the the powers that be have us fighting about trans kids and climate change. Well, we're not talking yeah. to our, our counterparts in the city. We should be. Yeah. Well, that that's that's where it's so easy just to distract the people. You know, you get people fired up over whether it be BLM or trans kids or, or whatever it is, and I and I'm not even. I, I could. I don't really care one way or the other. Everybody's got a story, and, and I think everybody's got a right to be happy, and I'm fine with all that. But they whip people into a fervor over these controversial points, 
and uh, we're just passing over the stuff that's so important and and really we're passing over stuff that could unite the people instead of divide them but we're we're so busy getting caught up on the stuff that doesn't matter yeah I agree it's uh I mean and, and like you said there's there's uh there, there is something to be said about pushing it on the kids shit but also like yeah it, it's it's the same way with like the gay marriage stuff like if it doesn't yep. affect you it's not hurting anybody like why do you care you can have your opinion on it yep. but like why why try to force a law <coughs> yes i don't know just but they anyway they get us so riled up about that shit where like they're they're robbing us blind that's right sending our our uh, most capable you know defenders of the country they're sending them over to die on you know, thousands of miles away. The uh, only thing I can see is oil and money. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it always boils down to. Yep. So they'll they they like us fighting about the trans kids while uh, while they just pump <laughs> our money and just yes. it and then pump it over else. Yeah. It, it's 100%. it's it's wild. I'm a. Uh, I'm pretty pretty falls deep in this uh, this meatpacking industry research, and it's uh, it's a disturbing trend, I guess. It's, yeah. Uh, how how everything went, and like we are so interconnected with uh, with and like dependent on those packers. It's like they are so dependent on the cattle rancher, but they are becoming less less. They, they're screwing us over. They've got dairy guys across the PDFs that have a steady constant rate. Like, they, they are, uh, and more and more, they are exporting the less than they are granted. That's where. That's where it scares me. Like I don't know where it goes from. Like if uh, the the more the the cattle rancher gets phased out, uh, the the less leverage they have. Charlie's froze, or I mean, Cliff's froze. Um, oh, 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 maybe. There we are. We're back. Um. Anyway, that's. Uh, That's what scares me. It's uh, the yeah. <laughs> the Packers use the ranchers. There we are. Yeah, there we are. Okay. Like we uh, we are the we're the Indians that we that we pushed off our land, and now the the. <laughs> the Packers are, are the are the Cowboys that push or the the, the army that push the the Indians off. Yeah, that's uh, I, that that's a really good analogy. It, it's um, I don't think that's gonna, I don't think it's ever gonna go anywhere. But it's uh, it's just gonna be big out. The, the market, it's still, 
there's still a lot of family family farmers out there. Pretty large yep. scale. And uh, just it's the same way with uh, the dairy. There's there's a few families. They're uh, they run huge outfits. And uh, it's up to the Dairy type, uh, dairy crosses take uh, more dependent, or like more you're gonna see ranchers all that. And uh, I, I can't blame you. No. It's uh, it's uh, kind of a, it's kind of a catch twenty two. I don't know, uh, like the. <coughs> reason I respect the ranchers they're self-reliant they're industrious they're uh, they're independent um, but they're gonna the way it's it's trending they're gonna have to bend the knee and ask the government to step in so continue being stubborn self-reliant but at the end of the day they're not gonna be because it's gonna be a probably a subsidy that saves the, the beef you know the, the ranch beef yeah yeah. Well, I, I think that oftentimes the government has a hard time with with independent people and independent thinkers. And, and uh, I mean, that that really sums up the, the cowboy and ranching community. And, and so I don't think it's a coincidence, everything that's going on. I think that that uh, creating a more vulnerable ranching community and uh developing a a need for the government and the people you know causing them to to rely more on on a government handout and things like that uh that puts the people in a much more controllable spot and uh you know i think that's what kind of what they're steering things toward you know i i think i don't think any of this is by chance i think it's all manipulated mm-hmm. i think so too and um i mean you look at the when you look at the meatpacking industry, it is ever since it like really took off there in Chicago, it has been a yep. hand over fist money maker. And yes, sir. Uh, and and if, even before the industrial part, you can figure out the base without a bunch of meat that was you know, that would last. Buddy. Oh, I, I was saying uh, I was there saying like the more okay the like every time there, there's a war need that And, um, so, it's, uh, 
that, that's a very Regions, but once you get uh, when you get on a nationwide scale, man, your your biggest brand, except man, eh, the Mormons are, are working their way up there. Yeah, um, you know, but outside of that, your your big yep. ranch don't they ain't got the anywhere near the pull that uh, <laughs> that those meatpacking people have. I mean, they've no, they've no, got the money. Control the end product, and therefore they control the market. Those those packers are kind of like a mafia at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and it's just like uh, every so often people have enough, and they uh, they get broken up, and they get they get regulated a little bit more. But the more regulation involved, uh, the more red tape you have to jump up through, and the more money that costs. And it's Yes, sir. Yeah, so they, they may break them up here, here, but they'll uh, they'll reform somehow. And that's that's kind of the beauty of the American system, but that's also the drawback. It's yes, sir. Here, anywhere on earth, for a company to rise from nothing to controlling the entire market, but. There, there, there's just something when when they scale like that where it's, uh, it, it's, it's real unethical, real quick. Yes. Um, and then, like when you when you look at the rancher, I I, I put the rancher and the libertarian on the same because. Uh, they're self-reliant. Yep. They not them, themselves and kind of leave everybody <coughs> else alone. But it's also their biggest flaw because they can't agree with anybody on anything yeah. ever. Yeah, and I, I think the I think the the key here is is figuring out um, figuring out how the rancher can become less reliant on big packers and uh you know i think more kind of like it was in the old days more small town uh independent packing plants you know places that that don't direct route to the consumer and the rancher can see more dividends from it and you know uh oh We'll uh, <coughs> we'll have to wait till Cliff comes back. His uh, must have been going through some some bad service there. He's 
All right there, I cut out for a second. I don't know what happened. Uh, that's all right. Um, yeah, I, it's um, man. I, I look at the, how the cattle industry started and how the packing started, and it's such a intertwined like thing. But always harder to uh, defend the same way like the dairy guys like man when you see you, you know you hear that like all of the Holsteins in yeah. the US are traced back to three different bulls uh, as their working point and you're just like man you guys need some new genetics <laughs> you know yeah. like it's it's pretty it sure hard is. to defend you at this point um, so I think the more like more people are looking oh, at yeah. a small scale type deal like a family uh, it's it's a boon for the rancher if the rancher would just recognize it and there are people there are people that have and there some of them are having a tough go of it yes. but a lot of them are are thriving you know and they're like they're not necessarily getting rich but they're uh, they're not as worried yes, about sir. how they're going to make their land hey, uh, their a perfect day, example you know, i think of what you're what you're talking about is uh, I have a dear friend, Kathy Cavender, who uh, she actually works for me. She does all my business management, my books, payroll, all that fun stuff that uh, that cowboys shouldn't be allowed to do anyway. <laughs> and uh, but Kathy, uh, she has a, a multi-generational family farm up in Virginia. She's a she's cowgirl through and through. And um, she took the family farm and kind of the traditional way of doing things. And now she markets uh, kind of boutique beef. She sells a, a lot of it goes directly to restaurants and, uh, and places like that, as well as selling directly to uh, her customers. And she's, she, as she deserves, for producing such a good product and, uh, you know, high quality beef, she, she does well at it. And uh, it's, really, it's really changed the face of her place up there and what she's doing. And, uh, 
And I, I think there's, I think a lot of people could, could take some lessons from that. Um, you know, I mean, a, a big outfit isn't going to be able to do that, but a lot of these, these, uh, smaller places, you know, she just, she does, she does a lot of yearlings there and, uh, kind of fish, finishes them out herself. And she's got a, a great little program going and it's, I think a perfect model for what we need more of. Well, and, and exactly as, uh, you're, you're seeing like a, a depopulation of the, the major urban centers too. Like there's, like there's like uh, smaller cities that are getting way big. Like Reno is one of the fastest growing cities in the U.S. And it, it has grown incredibly since I, I first uh, came over, you know, first visited Reno in 2012. And it is just like at the time, it was uh, about 150,000. And, and you like you get some, uh, you know like as they're not at the top of it, there's around those cities like there's there's a little town but like get in with those there's the rest of them and like explain to them how the And maybe won't be quite cutting heads that's that's kind of a, uh, it's, it's hard not to. You've seen like a, especially coming from Colorado to see how that that uh, went from a tourist and uh, an agriculture. Um, and you see how how much how um, it's, it's still like kept kept alive because there is you know it's the physical tourism for people all around because they had a good experience skiing. And I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know that like that, that state's just kind of just gone the way of California. I, I just feel really bad for all the all the people I know, all the family and stuff that still live there. I don't real rural edge. It's like, man, I. It's uh, it is an uphill fight at best. Yes, sir. Um, I don't know, it, but we, like, changes, I mean, I, uh, I, I think, uh, like you were saying earlier, how, how much is red, it has made me, right, Like, look out! You're gonna see some kids from the city come out the bridge because they they saw Yellowstone, and some of those kids might turn out to be really. Fun. 
But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, um, it's interesting. I don't know. I, I think, uh, I, I always thought, they, they said that the cowboy died three years And, uh, there's been so many points throughout the history where they said, well, that, that's it. The cowboy. Yep. We're still here. That's right. Essentially doing the same thing that yes. the, the old timers did. Do it in a little, little different way, and I think I think that's always going to be the way uh, how it is. I, uh, I I've seen. <laughs> I was gonna. I, I meant to uh, mention it uh, today, um, how uh, I, I've watched plenty of videos of lots of people yeah. waving flags. <laughs> they just get just freight trained by a braver steer. <laughs> and then they're just like spinning in a circle oh, yeah. on the ground because they're on their side and the, <laughs> the flag's still just <laughs> uh, th- those things until like they, they make those uh, like full animorph robots uh, that, that they're working on until until that thing moves like a human <laughs> I'm not worried of, of any robot uh, you know replacing me in, in my that's job. right that's right Um, it'll be interesting though if they do get those robots to yeah. where they can move like a human, and then the AI generation is uh, like can tell them how how to uh, respond yep. to this particular horse. Um, then then I think we might truly yeah. be out of a job. <laughs> but until that happens, um, uh, I don't know. I, I you know as as a horseman, I don't I don't think there's ever going to be anything that can replace human intuition. No matter, you know, there's everything I've seen with AI. As far as it has progressed, it, it's still there's something that there's something there that lacks that that human intuition, that human feel. And and I think that when we look at horses and we we make a connection with a horse, and I'm not talking about rainbows and fairy farts and stuff like that. I'm talking about, you know, getting a kind of building a partnership with your horse where that horse works for you. And, you know, it's give and take based on leadership. And I, I really think it's it's hard to ever replace that. And, you know, it's, just, it's the same with working dogs, things like that. It's just, I don't know. I think there's something there that is, uh, it's it's primal. It's part of us. And, and I don't know that that'll be replaced that soon. Yeah, I um, I think that if you go back to the first machine, you know, like the first lever that they gave me, uh, that machine was meant to make the coffee to do. And it's I don't I don't think we're gonna get to the point where the the Your mic kind of keeps going in and out, buddy. Oh, okay. Um, I, I was gonna say like there's uh, 
there, there's no soul in a machine. You know, like it's always right. the machines are always there to make the man's job easier. Yes. And um, I, I don't see that role ever being reversed. You know, like yes, with without the the men in the work to find all the shit and and uh, you know deal with the land and whatnot to use the machines like there the machine has no purpose so right it's always it's always the machine doing the work of the man. that's right so I, I don't know I, I think there's uh, I think you know but then like with automation where you make the, where you make the machine do all the work that cuts out the human on uh on, on one end, you know, particularly in these like, factory jobs, but it also uh, it also creates a, a chain where like they got to go find something, and so whether uh, whether they find a new skill or just try a new profession, you know, like I don't know, it, it all it all leads to innovation somehow. That's right, and. Uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not that scared of it, but I am. Uh, I am scared of the the rancher becoming dependent on the government. Yes. I think increasingly that headed, and uh, that's that's the part that scares me. Because uh, once once you do that, then it, um, it just leads to like big corporate takeovers, and uh, because because then once it's subsidized by the government, it becomes profitable. And, uh, and big business knows the probability So you'll have uh, you know you'll have family ranches that uh, the same family's working but now they're owned by Coca-Cola. I still cut down. Yeah, you you just started to cut out again. Okay. Um, there you go. That's good. Okay. I, cord was loose. Um, ah, perfect. Yes. Awesome. Um, so, anyway, I think... I don't know. That's, that's the thing that scares me, like I said. It's just... Uh, in order for this... Uh, this way of life to uh, not just not go out of business. Um, yep. One or if it go out of business, they're going to get bought up by bigger outfits, or they're or they're just you're, you're going to have like the same family running the <coughs> now because it's backstopped by the government. Yeah, yeah. it has become profitable. So and, yes, and big and big government or big big companies they know when. Uh, they, they know when shit's profitable, so yep. they'll, they'll buy in. Well, it's... After what we were it's talking up. about earlier, after what we were talking about earlier about the the internet and social media kind of making the cowboy world a lot closer knit and a lot smaller, um, I think that that's just so... It's more important now than ever um, with this the trend toward replacing people with machines or, or doing it the doing it the the more efficient way or, or, or from the perspective of big business, the more efficient way, which isn't always the more efficient way when it comes to livestock. But um, I, I think that 
keeping the traditions alive and, and keeping up the conversations and, and passing on the, the information and things like that, it, it really creates a, uh, it creates a, a big shot in the arm for the industry, I believe. And, uh, as much as even, even things like, let's take Yellowstone that everybody loves to rag on a show like that has made, has put cowboy life as, as fake in Hollywood as it may be on the show. It's made, it's opened the door for people to look at what's really going on out there. What really happens on ranches now, you know, and, and for these kids that watch that show and they go buy themselves a, a cheap hat, man, I was a kid in a cheap hat once. And you know what? I got to where I am because I had a hunger and because there were good guys that took me under their wing and kind of pushed me along. But if I hadn't been exposed to it somehow, I don't know that my life would have been on the same course. So I think it's, it's just super important that, you know, guys like you keep these conversations going and, you know, guys like me try to share my experience and help people whatever way I can, because that is, you know, outside of the dollars and cents, outside of the business side of things, you got to keep the heart of the industry alive. And, and, you know, that comes down to the fact that there's nothing quite more American than, than a cowboy. And uh, I think that's, that's an important thing for people to, to keep in mind and to even treasure, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and like, as, as my world opens up on this deal, like um, there, there's such a good uh, opportunity for, um, outreach to even like the particularly the mexican culture because they they're proud of oh, their yeah. cowboy culture too like and, and like that there there wouldn't be the american cowboy without the the, the mexican cowboy because they came from uh spain and and brought yep. the old time traditions which originated in like morocco you know so yeah. like we're, we're talking the muslim world too like i mean there's there's so much outreach there to, to yes, be had sir. and uh but but particularly on our continent, like uh, there's uh, you know there there's uh, there's such a need for like that that lower worker type uh, in the U.S. because yep. uh, you know for much we we don't like the immigration uh, problem. There ain't you, you won't find many white boys in a dairy. Uh, they're, they're no, pretty good. No. And, but you can uh, you can connect with those those uh, migrant workers because they 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 may have cowboyed themselves uh, or, or they their their granddad did or something. They have they have a great culture. Yes, they're proud of it, and it's evolution. They do things different. They're they're cowboy just the same. It's all uh, it's all uh, if you, if you're working respect, uh, you got something in common. Yes. If uh, if you to Harrow, he's uh, he's located up in Pennsylvania. Uh, he's a I think third generation like Charo elite. He grew up in Mexico. Um, got over here as a little kid. He's one of the ropiest guys I know, and uh, he holds a card as a PRCA pickup man. He takes uh, he takes a lot of broncs that don't make it, and he turns them into saddle horses, and I mean good saddle horses. And uh, this kid is as handy and uh, as cowboy as they come. And uh, he's super proud of his of his Charo heritage, but he's also been really neat about embracing kind of uh, some of the American styles of horsemanship and things like that. And uh, 
he's a success story if there ever was one. And I mean, he is as cowboy as they come. I love that kid. Yeah, it's, uh, I've worked for, uh, or worked with, uh, like particularly a couple older Mexican guys that, uh, that are just cowboy their entire life. They've done some other stuff. They, uh, they grew up like desert. That, that's as crazy as it gets. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, like once, once you cross that border, you go back in time. And, uh, and then once you get out into the, like, you really go back in time. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it, it was actually really interesting and kind of eye opening for me to see. Uh, this weekend, I'm just on my way back from uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. My buddy, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Jace Angus. He's a he's from Fallon, Nevada, top hand and uh, also a hell of a saddle bronc rider. But uh, we went down for a kind of a bulls broncs and barrels deal. I, I got back on my first ranch bronc in about seven years. And I got took two of them and, and uh, made a little money, did all right, was happy to be back. But uh, what really struck me was just how alive the cowboy culture is in the in the Mexican and Cuban community down there. Um, I mean, we were some of the only white boys at the rodeo, and, and let me tell you, these guys were, they were handy, they were ranchy, and, and just great guys to be around, a lot of camaraderie, and, and uh, it, it just makes you appreciate uh, the patchwork quilt that is cowboy culture here, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, I I tell guys all the time, man. It's hard hard to be racist and embrace this culture out uh, of both sides of your mouth because you know we wouldn't be we wouldn't have what we have in this country in our culture if it wasn't for the melting pot that we got from you know all the different immigrants that came here. Every everything from the Scots and Irish to the the Mexicans and Spaniards and everything else. And uh, uh, I'm fascinated by the history of that, to be honest. Yeah, I am too. And uh, you know, I was when I was talking with uh, Patrick Menner the other day. You know, his uh, where he grew up in Tennessee was uh, the same lot of land that his ancestors uh, were slaves at. Uh, you look at the black people uh, in Texas. They migrated out of free, and they did there was a uh, housing catch next where they went. You're, you're going, so you're going out a little bit again, buddy. Um, I said, those, those sorry bastards, they probably got on the worst horses uh, that there ever was because, you know, they're, they're going to work for a guy that used to own couple of them and now, now he's, he's a little butthurt about yeah. that and uh yeah i bet the horse that those uh those uh early black cowboys uh got stuck in their string were just oh killers, man. you know just the worst of the worst you know it's pretty neat one of my earliest cowboy influences uh being a kid from long island they're they were kind of slim pickings up there um I, I got to start hanging out with some guys that were part of uh, what they call the Federation of Black Cowboys. And uh, they're a bunch of fellas from New Jersey, New York, inner city. And 
literally in the in the basement of buildings in New York City and, and Jamaica, Queens and Staten Island. These guys have some pretty jam up nice horses that they they go out, they use them, they go to Pennsylvania, they go places like that. And, and uh, these guys all, you know, they ended up in the city because of jobs and things like that. But they all come from a ranching background and they kind of got together and created this little network there. And, and I'll be honest, those were some of the first sure enough cowboys I ever got to be around. And uh, they just kind of embraced me. They knew I had the same love they did. And, and it, you know, as a, as a young teenager, it gave me a really good opportunity to be around some some sure enough guys that in a least likely place you'd expect. And I, I thought that was great. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. You know, it's, uh, there, I think it was back in, in 2020. It was like the last, uh, like full cowboy poetry gathering. Yep. Their theme was like the ode to the black yep. cowboy. And they had, <clears throat> they had some, uh, some exhibits there in the museum. Um, yeah, I think they did a, a show or something, or a, like a movie or a documentary on, uh, and it was like somewhere in like, uh, yep. Compton. The Compton Posse, they call it. Uh, and it was the same, it's like, yes, sir. Yeah. Yep. Do you know? Yeah, I, I, I know quite a little bit about it. Um, I had a friend that she volunteered a lot of time to go work with the kids she was a, a jumper trainer but she came from a her dad was a bridal horseman from california so she had a her her earliest learning was uh was cow horses and stuff so she volunteered a lot to go work with the kids there in compton and and uh they've got scholarships going to help get these kids out of the ghetto there and get them on horses and people donate to it and it's a it's a really neat program and uh you know it's it's pretty wild because you know, I've seen pictures and, and uh, you know, just people taking videos of, I mean, kids straight up in the middle of the ghetto and they're, they're cowboyed out riding their horses around and, you know, there's gangbangers all around them and they're just, they're just doing the best they can to, to be cowboys. And I, man, it's great. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's easy to make fun of, uh, you know, stuff like that, but it's it also at the same time it's like i mean it's it's pretty cool i mean yeah. that they because you know somebody's grandpa uh sure enough yep. hand and they just you know there was a there was a couple of them because they yeah they probably moved into the city to go work at the meat packing plant you know exactly uh, exactly or a and, sale barn or something and it was uh, <laughs> something yep. yeah and uh yeah, and then they they built those communities there in the, the inner city, but there's still a few of those old hands that kept the, you know, it kept exactly. it alive, I guess. And you know, it's like, it's it'd be really easy to look down and make fun of them, but also if you'd uh, if you just take a little bit to figure out how they how it got to where it is, like, I bet you there's a real cool story. Exactly, and I've I've heard some of those stories just through the guys I knew in New York and. And uh, some of the ones I've met from from California and stuff, and, and there are some really neat stories attached to it. And you'd be amazed what some of that history is. It's it's really a neat thing. And uh, you know, for me, I've always had a real soft spot for for anybody who has that desire. And I don't I don't care how you know how cheesy or corny they are. If they really have a desire to learn and 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 embrace this culture. 
I've got a big soft spot there because for me, coming from Long Island, when I first got out to the West, uh, I ran into a lot of gatekeepers, you know, guys that, that because I wasn't born into it and I was Eastern bred and blah, 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 that, that I sure could never be uh, a hand. I could never be, make it a, in that life. And, and there were a lot of guys that just kind of, in, you know, in certain terms were just, hey, go home here. This isn't for you and this and that. And that, that just made me try harder. Um, but it also made me really appreciate the guys that that took me under their wing and, and really wanted to cultivate it in me and, and help me grow and help me be better. And uh, that I've, I've spent the rest of my life, ever, ever since I kind of made it, I've spent as much time as I can trying to help other kids and, and you know, young people that want to come up and, and do this sort of thing, you know, and, and that's where like, even now I've got a, I've got a pretty good little intern program in, in my deal where I take kids from all walks of life and, and uh, try to help them get some skills. And, and a lot of them I've helped prep so that they could then go on out west. Uh, one of the first kids I helped was a, a fellow named Riley Williamson, who's now, uh, he makes futurity horses, trains cow horses out in Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, he's he's probably close to 30 years old now and uh, came from Shelter Island, New York. And uh, he rode with me since he was just a little kid. And, and then when he was 16, he came out and lived with me in Montana for a couple summers. And, and uh it's just awesome to see a kid like that. He's made a name for himself and he's handy among the handy and I'm just super proud of him. That's awesome. Yeah. It's well, you go like rambling Jack Elliott. He was, uh, I can't remember. He was Bronx yep. or Brooklyn, but yeah, he, uh, he saw the rodeo at uh, Madison square garden and then yep. ran away from home to, to go yes, follow sir. the rodeo. And, and now he's like a cowboy legend in yeah, his own absolutely. Ride, you know? And that was, that was kind of like me. I mean, I basically ran away. My mom was crying in the yard when I left. And, man, they you'd have thought that I was going to sell my soul somewhere. And the way that I broke the hearts of my family and friends. And, you know, I had a lot of people pull <laughs> me aside and tell me how, you know, well, it's not going to be what you expect out there. And you all just stay here where it's safe. And, you know, you could get a real job and then you could afford to go and, and do things that you want to do. And I'm like, no, it's not for me. And, and uh, you know, for a kid that barely graduated high school, I homeschooled my last few years and basically just filled in the answer blanks, got a got a degree, got out of there, never went to college. And, and to be able to to have a place in this world now is I'm, I'm pretty proud of it and I, I'm thankful for it, you know. No, that's that's awesome. I, uh, I I didn't have a choice. My my mom, uh, she, she uh, she's like, you're going to college. And, By the way, we're not paying for it. You're going to college. <laughs> like there wasn't ever a choice. Yes, sir. But also, my I I read uh, from the time I was yep. in, and uh, not because yeah. I wanted to. <laughs> it was like, yeah, you don't have a choice. You're also getting on the. <laughs> And uh, there was somebody was uh, how I think it was when I was like early college years. Uh, I was talking to to somebody. They're uh, they're asking about my dad about me, and they're like, "Oh yeah, he'll get on anything." And I was like, "Well, I didn't know there was a yeah. choice to get on it. I was just told to get on it." Yeah, know? yeah. I kind I kind of came up the same way. My my mom and 
my mom and um, uncle rehabbed a lot of thoroughbreds off the racetrack because uh, that was kind of the thing to do back then. And, uh, you know, people weren't, jumpers weren't riding warm bloods like they are now. And so that's where, that was the source of horses. So they'd go to the track and they'd come home with a bunch of these, these cracked out thoroughbreds that were pretty, pretty rank, at least at, at the age I was. And, and I'd get a leg up on them and take them on the run. And, you know, they'd turn me loose with those horses and get them figured out and figured I'd bounce better than they did. And it was kind of the same deal. I didn't have a lot of choice in that. Yeah, it's uh, those those thoroughbreds are a different animal than a than a quarter horse. I mean, they 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 really are. They they got a different mindset. They'll teach you feel. They will teach yeah, you feel. They're just they're yeah, they're they're kind of goofy, you know, because they're there's no kind about it. They're pretty goofy. Uh, yeah, particularly like the, the <laughs> yeah, I, particularly the 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 ones that are racing. You know, I mean that that's that's. Like yeah, most, most of them, yeah. vast majority of them, but they're—I mean—they're designed to run, and that's—that's kind of it. Like they're kind of like the dairy You're cow. Exactly that, right. That you don't care about the maternal, that Holstein. You just want one. You want big fat udders and yes, a sir. bunch of milk. Yes, sir. Thoroughbred, you want speed and stamina. Yep, that and that's it. I mean that that's and it makes for working them hard because yeah, they got some. That's stamina. right. That's right. Yeah, they're uh, yeah they're diff- different different kind of animal where they're. Uh, it's not that they're dumb. They just they're they're like. Uh, I mean they're they're just bred. It's just, it's just genetics, you know, and it, it's like uh, I look at the cattle down here in Florida, uh, you know. Down here in Florida, there's there's things that'll eat you every everywhere you turn. I mean, from gators and big snakes and this and that. So the cattle down here, they they're pretty snuffy. They're pretty touchy. They're a lot higher strung. They run a lot more Bramer in them, and and uh, they're a lot different than than cattle in Montana, oh, yeah. Oregon, and and uh, so it demands that you got to kind of adapt the way that you handle these cattle a lot different than the way you would up there. Oh, for sure. I, and you're down in uh, in Florida now, right? Yes, sir. I'm at, I uh, base out of Ocala, Florida. Okay. What brought you down there? Just I got just cattle, or, or, or <laughs> no, uh, actually, you got more I, clients down there. I got sick of uh, of starvation wages, just cowboying, and uh, I I always knew I wanted to be a horse trainer. Um, that, that was, you know, something that was always there. When when I was out west, the, the way I got by and the way I kind of climbed the ladder was that I, I was a colt man. I was a two-year-old man, and I, I worked for a lot of different places. So even though I, I was cowboying, I was always riding colts or bronx or something for somebody. And, uh, you know, I, I started hearing a lot about Ocala blowing up as far as, you know, it's kind of the horse capital of the, of the world here. There's more horses in Marion County. Florida than about anywhere and it's pretty it's pretty unbelievable it really is a sight to see but um I came down here with the you know hopes of of really making a name for myself uh getting on higher end horses and and actually making a living and and being able to have have a good life and and it worked out you know I've been here about 10 years and I I've managed to build a business that's 
it's pretty darn good. Um, and that, that's thanks a lot to a lot of different people who've been kind of pivotal in my life. But, um, you know, it's, it's put me in a spot where I'm able to, I'm able to go day work down here. I'm able to go and go out and visit friends. Like I'm going out with my buddy, Greg Robinson to, uh, Blackfoot, Idaho. And, and, uh, we're going to go see Dwight Hill out there and brand with him after we do our cult starting out there and, uh, go hit some brandings and do some things like that. So I've, I've managed to find this balance in my life where, where I can be a, be a horse trainer, but also continue to be, be a cowboy and, and have my hand in the ranching community and, and be a part of that. And, uh, so it's, it was a good move for me. It was a smart move. That's awesome. I'll have to come out and visit. Heck yeah, man. It sounds like, sounds it's like a, that. it's a good time. There's always Experience. something going on here. And, uh, everybody I've had, you know, like my friend Greg Robinson and, and a lot of these other guys that have come down to visit me, everybody's blown away by, by the culture here. And it's not anything like what people think it would be. It's, it's a lot different. Well, I, my, my views on Florida all come from just searching Florida yes. man and, and yes. you know, hilarious. <laughs> And so I, I, I don't know what to think of Florida. Uh, like I, I, I like DeSantis. Uh, I don't know if I'd like him as president. Yeah. Honestly, I, uh, I'm not, I'm not on him uh, or policy. But I like him as governor. But yeah, I, I just I've never been down there. I'd like to, but I don't know much about it. What my initial thoughts on yes. I know enough to, uh, to know that, like Miami and Panhandle. You're you're going out just a little bit again, buddy. There you are. Um. Okay. Well. Uh, yeah, I I know enough to know that like Miami and South Florida is completely different world than the sure. Panhandle, but uh, that's about yeah. all I know of. Florida. Well. I- I can say this about, um, but I have, heard, uh, I can say this about DeSantis. He, uh, being here during COVID and, and all of that nonsense, uh, he handled this state about as good or better than anybody out there. And, uh, that really made me a believer in him because while everybody else were losing jobs, losing money, uh, we were open pretty darn quick. We never really fully shut down. Uh, he found a lot of ways to keep businesses going and, and, uh, and keep things running along. And if anything, I had probably my best year financially during COVID and every year since. And I, I really attribute that to DeSantis. Yeah. I like to say he's, he's been incredible as, uh, as the floor, uh, the governor down there. Yes. Like I said, I'm, I'm not, not a hundred percent sense on him. Uh, on president, but when it comes to any other Democrat that they're going to throw up there, yeah, I'll, I'll vote DeSantis over yes, that sir. shit. Um, um, and and I'll say uh, the the sheriffs in Nevada yep. kind of they're they're about equal to DeSantis yes. in Florida because when they started doing all this, this stupid bullshit like <laughs> the casinos and whatnot and the big the big cities of. Re- in yep. Vegas, like it, COVID really took a 
well, but in in the rural yes. counties, the the sheriffs just said fuck you. I'm not yep. enforcing that, and uh, and so like, life just kind of went yep. on as normal. Like there was some some inconveniences, and uh, you know there were still mask mandates that some people uh, you know complied with, but like overall the like the sheriffs were just like nope. No, not my problem. I'm that. I'm not yeah. enforcing yeah. that. Yeah, the sheriffs here in Florida did the same. And uh, so that. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, yeah, so like I'm as bad as uh, our state legislature is here in Nevada. Like, uh, I'm not worried about a whole lot of it because if it's stupid enough that the the sh- the counties are just going to be like, no, we're not doing that, and. Uh, and they're, they're not going to just send people from Vegas to arrest the rest yep. of the state, you know? Um, like they, they, there almost, almost needs to be like two separate state legislatures, you know, like you have the Vegas legislature, yes. and then the rural legislature. And then if there's any that, that affects the, you know, the, the entire state, then both legislatures have to, to vote on it. But, it it's just like no, you, let Vegas do Vegas Vegas things and rural Nevada do rural Nevada things, and we don't have a state tax, so we don't have to worry yes. about that. So like, unless it, unless it's a huge, like, let's not even intermingle the politics. Like, let Vegas do their thing. I I I agree. I agree very much. It's uh, it's uh. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe that's the the way going forward is you have two separate separate but equal state legislatures and then when it comes to the matters of the entire state then then you have the the rural versus the the, yes, the urban uh, legislatures vote. I don't know. It, it's it's crazy, but um yeah, it made me made me really thankful to live where I yeah, did. Yeah. Same uh, here. I got they could have been lived in a lot place than that, so uh, I agree. I agree. Um, I'm gonna, oh, go ahead. Um, as I say, I'm I'm gonna take a leak real quick. We'll uh we'll kind of end that for the for the main show. Uh, you got anywhere uh you want people to follow you online and whatnot? yeah, they they can just uh you know I Facebook I do so much business on I uh, that's kind of the source of it for me. I don't really advertise or do much beyond that, but uh, but people can check out uh, Cliff Shad Performance Horsemanship on there. Um, a lot of you know I try to. I try to just keep it real. I don't ever want to be one of them gimmicky guys that are just trying to sell you something every time. I don't, I don't sell anything, but my knowledge and my experience. And, uh, you know, I, I try to be down to earth and real and transparent with people. I don't, I don't make it all fairy farts and unicorn dust and all that. Uh, I, and so people can look me up there and, and reach out questions, comments. I, I love interacting with people and, uh, that would just be great. Awesome. Well, go follow him. Um, cool guy for sure. And uh, we'll, we'll come back here in a little bit, do a bonus episode for Patreon. So if you'd like to hear that, patreon.com slash daylight. It's also the best way to support the show. Um, Cliff, it's been a, a great talk, and uh, we'll, we'll come back, and uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about your horse. I would love that. And, and we'll go, go a little bit go a little more in the weeds on on that because people really like that so like i said if you guys want to hear that 
patreon.com slash burning daylight. And, um, yeah, I appreciate it, Cliff. It's been, it's been a good Yes, chat. sir. Sounds it. good to me. All right. Move <laughs> your ass. We're burning daylight. You walked out in the arena, all dressed up to the brim. Said he just came down from a place called Highland Rim. And he said he came to ride the horse, the one they call the Brute. But he didn't look like a cowboy in a continental suit. We snickered at the way he dressed, but he never said a word. Walked on by the rest of us as if he hadn't heard. A thousand bucks went to the man who could ride this wild cayuse. A meaner horse was never born than the one they call the Brute. The horse that he was looking for was in shoot number eight. Walked up very slowly, put his hand up on the gate. We knew he was a purebred when he pulled a sack of dukes from the inside pocket of his continental suit. He rolled himself a quirly and he let it stand there. Blew himself a smoke ring and he watched it disappear. We thought he must be crazy as he opened up the gate. Standing just inside was 1,500 pounds of hate. The buckskin tried to run him down, but the stranger was too quick. He stepped aside and threw his arms around the horse's neck. And he pulled himself up on the back of the horse they called the Brute. Sitting like he was born there in his continental suit. The Brute's hind end was in the air, his front end on and a squealing trying to shake the stranger down but the stranger wouldn't give an inch he came to ride the brute he came to ride that buckskin in his continental suit i turned around to look at jim but he was watching me said i don't believe the crazy things i think i see but i think i see the outlaw the one they call the brute Ridden by a cowboy in a continental suit The brute came to a standstill Ashamed that he'd been rode By some city cowboy in some continental clothes The stranger took his money And we don't know where he went We don't know where he came from And we haven't seen him since this story never judged by what they wear underneath some ragged clothes could be a millionaire so everybody listen don't be fooled by this galoot sure enough bronc rider in his continental suit